Okay, the message title is, It's Your Turn. Turn to the person next to you and say, It's Your Turn. Uh, we're going to wrestle this through. Um, who was here when I last spoke? Give me a wave if you heard my last message. I called it it's Your Turn Preface. You can find that on the podcast app. You can find it on Spotify. I think we've got SoundCloud. I think it's on our website. So many formats to listen to it. Go listen to it because it was a preface for this. But I want to wrestle through this whole idea of things that we dream for. You know, Maybe you're someone who's hoping to be married one day or, or find a relationship. Maybe you're hoping to be a parent. Maybe you're hoping for a promotion or a change of job or to launch a business. Maybe you're hoping to be healthier. I don't know what. You will all be hoping for something. And the trouble is in life, we sit here hoping for something. And while we're hoping for something, which seems like years, we watch everyone else get what we hoped for. And can anyone relate to that? It's always like I'm living this life, but it never seems to be my turn. Well, God stirred something in me to tell you it's your turn. And I don't want to be flippant about that because I know we can get in church and declare a whole bunch of stuff over it, this, that, and the other thing. And you can do that, but that's not what this is. This is something we're going to wrestle through together. God is going to give us the spiritual tools and the practical tools to walk this out so it's actually your turn. Can I shift some faith in you right now? You know, I know I can say things like that and you'll go, oh, yeah, 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 I half believe it. Stop that now. Let's have some agreement in the house that it's actually your turn. Amen? I want you to be a vocal church today. Amen? There we are. Part one is called this, the big question. The big question. I want to base the whole thing on this passage here. In John 5, verses 1 through 9, become familiar with this story. Meditate on it, read it. You might find some, some, some of your own keys in it. But this is in John 5, verses 1 through 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Turn to the person next to you and say, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else in goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Okay, then they argue over what should happen on the Sabbath, but we don't need to worry about that. Here's the thing. Here's this man who's been unwell for 38 years, struggling in life, lame, not able to get up and walk, not able to get on with his dream, not able to get on with his life. What happened is every so often an angel would come and stir the pool and if the pool was moving and you got in, people got healed. And so here's this lame man seeing the the pool being stirred, sitting at a distance, never able to get there. And it's a picture, I think, for so many of us that we've got this dream. We want to be well. We want a better experience of life. We want something different. And we can see there's possibility, but we never get there. It's like we're stuck. Can you see the analogy? And so Jesus comes to this man and asks him this big question. Do you want to get well? What? What? 
I've been sat here for 38 years, struggling, not able to get there. You rock up and ask me a stupid question. Do I want to get well? Hello? But it's a big question. Is it that? What to me and you is the obvious problem, the lameness, the inability to get up, isn't the problem to Jesus. Is it that the problem to Jesus was always his attitude and his vision? Do you actually want to get well? And that's a big question. You see, the reality is when you look at the lame man's answer, what did he say? He said, I can't get there. No one will help me. I've been here. He talks about all the reasons he can't get there. He never once says, Jesus, will you help me? You see, the trouble is we all have our issues. This man has his issues. And when Jesus comes and asks the big question, he doesn't say, yes, I want to get well. He tells him why he can't get well. Can you see the difference? And the trouble is we look at that today and think, I wouldn't do that. But we're all doing it. We're all telling each other why it will never happen for me. And Jesus, that's not a problem to Jesus. Jesus is God. All things are possible with God. Jesus is looking, what's your attitude like? What will you contend for? Where's your faith at? Where would your vision be? What are you dreaming for? Will you press into me or will you keep telling me why you can't do it? And that's why I can stand here and not just declare over you good things are coming your way. It's your turn because we're going to contend to look for some stuff. And we're going to do it together and we're going to learn on the journey. But something is going to shift. Can you feel it already? Come on, turn to someone else and say, it's your turn. I want to ask you, do you actually want to get well? Not talk about it, not dream about it. Do you actually want to experience it? Do you want to walk in your dream? Do you want to change your situation genuinely? No fluff and huff and puff and churchy language. Do you really want it? Because if you do, Jesus is your answer. But it means a change of thought process. It means a change in circumstances. It means a change in how you see things. Because Jesus can do all things. And he is standing here today asking you a question, man to man, man to woman, do you want to get well? It's for you and it's for today. The trouble is if we're always focused on if only... If only I had what you had. If only I was in your situation. What if things were different for me? It's all right for you. Anyone ever said that? Oh, you know, it's all right for you. You've got this. But you don't know what someone's fought for to get there. Yeah. You know, we're always making excuses. Stop it. Yeah. Can we stop it today? Stop saying it's all right for someone else. Do you know what? It's all right for you. Yeah. Come on. Same Jesus. We need to shift some attitudes. When we start saying it's all right for you, when we start saying what if, what if when we start saying if only, what we're really saying is we're never going to experience John 10.10. 10. John 10.10 10 says this, Jesus speaking, the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. You've got a spiritual enemy who wants to ruin your life. But I, Jesus, I came to give you life and life in its fullest experience. Life in abundance. Is that Jesus speaking truth to you or isn't it? And the trouble is we need to rest that. It's for you. Jesus didn't go to a cross, die a horrendous death and not finish there, but get up in victory and say, every wrestle you will ever fight against, I've just defeated. So therefore, it's for you. 
It's for you to experience the victory in whatever your wrestle would be. There's all different kinds of wrestles all over this room. But I know this, whatever your wrestle is, Jesus beat it. So do we look at the problem? Do we wish we were someone else? Or do we look at Jesus? And that is what we're contending for today. That is the big question. We will break the cycle of feeling like we're too poor, too shy, too tired, too downtrodden. Woe is me when we start taking responsibility for our own thought processes. When we start taking responsibility for our own life. When we actually look to Jesus and do what he tells us to do. And do you know what he's telling us to do? Get up. Get up. See, we read this story, and I wonder how many of us read that story and go, it's all right for him. (laughs) He couldn't walk for 38 years for crying out loud. What do you mean it's all right for him? But when Jesus confronted him and said, get up, he got up. And church, it's time for us to get up. It's time for us to stop making all the excuses and get up. Do you know, the man's preoccupation with his 38 years of trouble means that we never found out his name. He's just a lame guy. That's all we know. Uh, I wonder how many of you are poor person, hurt person, rejected person, single person. What label have we allowed to be put on us that that's how people think of you? You've got a name. God loves you so, so much. And yet we're doing life with all these labels, looking at everyone else's situation, wishing we were them. And God says, but I crafted you perfect. There is so much for you. I sent my son to win a victory for you. He is your answer. What is this wound in your life that's defining you? And how are you really going to answer the question, do you want to get well? Am I asking big questions this morning? Can I put a caveat? Be sure of what you want at this point, because you might just get it. I uh, heard this great story. A friend of mine uh, likes to go greyhound racing. Anyone been greyhound racing? There are other sports you can enjoy. Uh, Don't want to offend any animal people. But, you know, greyhound racing is a thing, and some people go to it. I don't, obviously. But my friend goes to greyhound racing and um, he was just doing, you know, five pound a bet or whatever he does. And he was, you know, really, he had the favour and he thought, I've got this one. And, you know, the electric hair, it comes out, <laughs> hairs around the outside. And then they give it a, like a hundred metres head start and the greyhound, they are fast. Have you ever seen the greyhound? They're massive. They absolutely fly these things. And they're about, I think it was a four lap race and they're about on second lap and the hair broke down. <laughs> So what happens? The greyhounds catch the hare. But you know what they did? They caught up with the hare and started looking at each other and wandering around in the middle. And one of them had a little sit down. I think one of them cocked his leg. and They didn't know what to do with themselves. Because when they actually got what they were chasing, they didn't know how to handle it. And I think there's some truth in there somewhere, church, where you might say, I'm desperate to be married. But I can point to a whole stack of people who are married and unhappy. Do you really want what you're asking for? And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I'm saying be sure. Because you might just get what you ask for. You know, I wonder if there's people here who wish I had more money. But I've read lots of stories of lottery winners who have won tens of millions of pounds. And we're like, oh, I wish it was me. It's all right for you. But then they lose all their friends. 
because their friends just expect them to pay for everything. Take me on holiday, buy me a car, buy me a home, you can afford it. And when they start saying, hang on a minute, all their friends desert them. You are just unkind. And so the thing they thought they wanted most actually ruined their life. And so my point is this, only ask for what you believe you can handle because you might just get it. Can you see the point I'm trying to make? Promotion at work comes with demands. Can you handle it? And I'm not saying you can't, but you need to ask the question. Can you handle it? See, here's this man who was sat on a mat. He was a cat in a hat sitting on a mat. (laughs) 38 years old. And I'm going to just assume it's the same mat. 38 years old, dusty and probably minging. But it defined who he was. It's like, there's the lame guy who sits on that horrible old mat. It's just like who I am. And what does Jesus say? Pick up your mat and walk. It's like we need to take hold of the thing that's defined us for so long. And pick it up so we're in control of it. It's not got me, I've got it. And say, I'm changing my thought process because it's my turn. And that means shifting your thinking. So much of this is about faith and mindset and vision. It's not about a pastor declaring good stuff over you. That's great. And I believe in that stuff. But this is a journey where we're actually going to experience something different so that we can handle it. Come on, I'm stirring some faith in the room. You see, here's the thing. If you're going to be the person who's not poor... You need to get rid of your poverty mindset. You see, if you're going to be a person who's shying away from friendship, you've got to get rid of the rejection in your life. You've got to see it differently. You see, you can be someone's friend because you're accepted in Jesus. You can be wealthy because God supplies all your needs according to his riches, not yours or mine. Has God got enough for you? That's the question to ask yourself. If he has, why have we got a poverty mindset? And I'll tell you why. Because we've lived like it for so long we don't know anything different. Do you know I believe in acting in the opposite spirit? Poverty is a world thing, not a heaven thing. There's no lack in heaven, is there? So if we see poverty around us or you're experiencing poverty, are you experiencing heaven? Answer, no. So if we're going to experience heaven and Jesus came down to give us heaven, we need to react in the opposite mindset. So if you're someone right now struggling with finance, can I throw out a suggestion? Act in the opposite spirit. Give some money away. Sow into something. Buy someone a meal. Give something to charity. Buy me some clobber. <laughs> but you see what I'm, what I'm saying? By, rather than saying I'm too poor to do anything, just say I'm going to do something. And I'm not saying be wild and stupid and give hundreds of thousands of pounds or even thousands of pounds. Maybe for you it's 10 quid. Maybe for you it's 50 quid. Something that would mean something to you to say, I'm acting in the opposite spirit. And I promise you, and I think I can say I promise you, that God will bless it. Because he sees what's going on in your heart. I'm not going to have this poor mentality anymore. I'm going to give some away. And it might hurt me. But you know what? When God sees that, he says, ah, I give seed to the sower. And you've sown something so I can give you more seed. And you go, oh, I've got a bit more. Oh, I'm going to sow some more. Oh, I've got a bit more. And see, when you're faithful with the little, God will give you the much. But it means shifting your mentality of stop saying I'm always poor. You're not poor. You're a child of God. And he's got more than enough. But it's a mindset change. It's not looking around at all the reasons why you've got nothing. It's actually saying, my God supplies all my needs. I'll leave that hanging. Can we shift it? Let's change. You are a victor, not a victim. You're a victor, 
and not a victim. So your victory is going to come when you start to see it Jesus' way and you stop seeing it your way. If God is God, see it his way. You know, when we can respond in obedience to Jesus' call on our life, rather than respond according to our circumstances, we'll get the Jesus result rather than the us result. Here's the truth. Your destiny doesn't lie in someone else's hands. This guy was sitting there saying, no one else comes and picks me up and takes me there. How often are we looking around going, well, if only they'd help me, if only they'd help me. And maybe God sent them in your life to help you, and maybe that's good. But how about stop worrying and looking for someone else and looking straight to Jesus? And how about shifting your mindset that it doesn't lie in someone else's house? My family isn't in someone else's hands. My health isn't in someone else's hands. My prosperity isn't in someone else's hands. My hope isn't in someone else's hands. It's in Jesus' hands. And Jesus has safe hands. Have a look at this, John 10, verse 28. Um, Jesus speaking, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, when you come to Jesus and place your life in his hands, he says, now I've got you. What a safe place to live in the hand of Jesus who will protect you, provide for you, inspire you, position you, open doors for you, close the wrong doors for you. He will protect you. So you're not in anyone else's hands. You're in Jesus' hands. It's the safest place. But we, the reason I keep repeating this stuff is because we've got to change the way we're thinking. We're always thinking it's someone else's turn. Well, now it's your turn. Come and say it again to the person next to you. It's your turn. Uh, a friend of mine took his, um, his wife out for a meal. And uh, they were in a low point in their financial dealings in the year. And, but he was desperate to take her out. So they had the chat. Has anyone had this chat? I'll take you out, darling. But the budget's 50 quid, all right? So that's all we've got. We're in agreement. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, yeah, we'll go out. 50 quid, 50 quid. Yeah, we'll do that. 50 quid. They get to the restaurant, and man said man looks at the menu, and he's like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. You know, they always put the cheap things at the top, don't they? And the more you go down, the more expensive it gets. You know, it goes from, you know, chicken, and pasta first, and it pasta, a bit of chicken, steak, lobster. It's more and more expensive. And so the bloke's looking at it going, okay, thinking, you know, we've got 25 quid each. If I have that, then she could have that. You know, I think that's great, yeah. So he says, um, oh, I'll have the chicken, please. I'll have the chicken. And the waiter says, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. What would you like, madam? I'll have the lobster. He's smiling on the outside, but on the inside, he's blowing up. We agreed. What on earth is the matter with you, woman? Why would you do that? Ah! I can't afford this. We agreed it. And then she gives him her menu, and when he looks at her menu, there's no prices on it. They gave the prices to the man. Now, that might be sexist, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. But that's what they did. They gave the prices to him. She didn't know the cost, so she ordered what she wanted. I want to tell you this. Jesus paid the cost. So order what you want in life, because you ain't got to pay for it. But to do that, you've got to have faith in Jesus. So this isn't a message of getting you to try to work harder and do more. This is a message of trying to get your mindset in line with Jesus' mindset. Because when you realise he paid for it, you can have it. But the issue then is, can you handle it? And that's why I felt able to, 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 to speak over my friend. Because I know God's done a work on the inside and he can handle it. Maybe our prayer right now is, say, God, do a work on the inside of me because I want to handle more stuff. I want to handle more finances. I, I want to be healthier. I, I want to be a husband or a wife. I, whatever your dream might be, 
God, will you do a work on the inside? Because I know I can have it. Get me ready to handle it. Amen? Amen. Jesus paid for it. See, I, I don't want this series to be a quick fix. It's not about a quick fix. This is about us setting ourselves up to live a different life continually. To have a different experience continually. This is about freedom and realizing dreams. This isn't about a pastor declaring something over you. But it requires changed thinking. It requires faith. And it requires stamina. Do you understand what stamina is? You know, I, I watched the, the marathon the other week. And, and obviously Mo Farah has been doing marathons recently. Those guys basically sprint for 26 miles. How do they even do that? But they train and they train and they train and they're able to keep going. We're in training time, church, because we need to be able to keep going. And anyone here when Elwin was in? Do you remember Elwin and Therese? Give me the wave you knew Elwin. Elwin's an awesome guy. It bothers me a little bit, and maybe you can pray over this. We're an army town, and we don't have any of the army in our church. Now, Elwin was from Holland. I should have got Sarah Jane to do that. Yeah. Elwin was from Holland. And um, it was very nice. And he was a captain in the paratroopers. And he'd come to England to train under the English way of doing things so they could send him back uh, and take the information with him. So he was a captain. He had a platoon underneath him. He was exceptional. And he came to the church and was so, so great. Then two of his, um, his troop or whatever battalion or whatever the name would be who, who were underneath him, he was their captain, came to the church. It was the most amazing thing. They'd come in, and when Elwin walked in, they'd be like, I was like, chill out, guys, we're at church. <laughs> and Elwin said they'll never do that, because being in the paratroopers isn't a job, it's a lifestyle. You see, if they don't obey my commands, people die. <laughs> but seriously, the thing is with the paratroopers, they're the, they're the guys who get dropped in at the front of the zone. They're the absolute nutters. <laughs> if anyone's going to die or see combat, it's them. And so he says, we, we can't mess about out off-site. We have to be like this all of the time because otherwise people die. And so you'd come in and these guys would be like, you know, cup of tea, sell, this kind of stuff. I was like, no one treats me like that. <laughs> but I chatted to Elwin. He said, the trouble is with being the captain, you've got to win everything. Because if you show weakness, they're like, well, who are we following then? And they'd go on these ones. Have you ever seen the guys on, the, on this um, North, 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 Balkan Hill here running up and down it? The army guys. Have you seen it? That's quite a long old steep hill. And they're hammering it up and down. And so Elwin would take his troop up and train there, often early in the morning. But he had to win. And he said, you know, sometimes I'd go around the corner of the bush and chuck my guts up. But I couldn't let them see it. But I was feeling sick and shocking and all the rest of it. But I, and I said, how do you keep going? He said, when you've got a level of fitness, it's not about whether your legs can keep going, it's about whether you mentally can keep going. He said, you have to switch off and just keep going. And you can. I'm like, wow, what a principle there. Let me tell you, church, you are fit enough to keep going. Are you mentally prepared to keep going? See, much of this is about changing mindsets to be more in line with Christ. It's not about, oh, this is so hard, I'm tired, and I stop. This is about, I'm tired, and I'm acknowledging I'm tired, but I'm going to keep going anyway. Because there is something different for me to grab in this life that Jesus paid for, and I'm going to have it. Come on, let me stir you up, church. Have a look at this in 11, uh, Genesis 11, verses 31 and 32. It says this, terror took his son Abram, so he's Abraham's dad, Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, uh, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. 
And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Canaan is the promised land. That's where they were heading. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, youngster. And he died in Haran. Was Terah called to the promised land? Yes. Did Terah make it to the promised land? No. Why? Because he got halfway and settled. His promise was there, yet he stopped halfway. Can we learn from terror? Because God's got good stuff for you, but we can't settle for second best. God's got whatever it is you're dreaming for you, but we can't give up halfway. We need to have the power mentality. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, this is taking longer than I thought. But you know what? I'm going to keep going because I'm fixing my mind on Jesus. I'm going to keep going, even though it's costing me stuff, even though it's taking my time, even though I'm tired. I'm going to keep going because there's promise at stake. And if you won't do it for you, will you do it for your kids? Because here's some truth. If you settle for second best, if you settle for half-baked dreams, the high probability is your children will too, because you model something. You know, I, I look at, you know, in Psalm 145, it says one generation will tell the next generation of God's goodness. And that's part of my story. Many of you will have heard it, but I was once engaged before I ever met Sarah to another girl called Tabitha. Uh, we went out for six and a half years from the ages of 18 to 24 and a half. And it was my dream to be married by 24 and I was on schedule. And mum and dad just said to me, you know, are you sure? Enough? Do you know when they say that, you know, oh, flipping egg. Because deep down in here, I wasn't sure. She was lovely and all that and it was fitting into my little life plan, but I wasn't sure. And so I had to separate from her. I could have settled because she was all right. And it might have been an okay life but it would have been second best. So at the age of nearly 25, I was starting again. And sometimes people say, oh, it's better to love and loss. But it didn't feel like it, because I was alone. But you know what? By being alone, I was free to meet Sarah. And Sarah's always been the one. God knew that. I could have settled, because it was painful to separate after six and a half years. That's all my adult life at the time. But I didn't settle. See, I had the mind of a paratrooper. This is hard, but I'm going to get through it because I know there's something more for me. And I pushed through and I got there and I encountered Sarah. And the only reason I stand before you today, the only reason this church exists is because Sarah's my wife and not Tabitha. Because there was promise at stake. And I know this, my children won't settle because I've modelled something to them. I'm already praying for their life partners. And they're going to be epic. But I know this, they won't settle because I didn't settle. And I've modelled something to them and there's promise in their life. If you won't do it for you, do it for your kids. Don't settle, push through. But I hope you'll do it for you because you know what? As L'Oreal says, you're worth it. <laughs> it's easier to settle, far easier to settle. Doing okay, you know, just getting along. But the trouble is, it almost becomes like our crutch. I've been poorly for so long, it's just, just how my life is. And we almost just hug it and go, oh, oh I'm sick. Not been well for ages. It's just like, it's not my little buddy in life, my sickness. It's like, no, don't settle for that. Get it out of your life. Oh, you know, no one likes me. 
My father rejected me, my mother rejected me, my grandparents rejected me. I went to school and no one liked me, so I'm just the person who stands away from everyone. I'm shy because I'm so unlikable. No! You're almost embracing it. No! Jesus died that you'd be accepted. And so when you say, no, 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 I'm not going to live based on what people have treated me like. I'm going to live based on what Jesus treated me like. You have a different experience. There are friends for you. There are a partner. There's a partner for you. Whatever it is you're hoping for is there. We've got to stop allowing our experiences to define us and allow Jesus to define us. Romans 7, 24 and 25, last verse says this. Oh, what a miserable person I am. No, that's not the key verse. Who will free me from all this, uh, all this life that is dominated by sin and death? All this rubbish around me. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. You see, there might be a whole lot of rubbish surrounding you. And I might not know the half of it. But I know this. God knows all of it. And he defeated all of it on your behalf. So order in life what Jesus paid for. And if that's friends, if that's a promotion, if it's financial freedom, if it's health, if it's a ministry, if it's, I don't know what it is your dream is, but I know this, you can have it if you'll shift your mindset and start living like that and acting in the opposite spirit. If you're someone who's not got a friend, can I challenge you to act in the opposite spirit? Be a friend. You know, often we call this the fatherless generation. Well, young men in the house, be a father. We've got to act in the opposite spirit so that we actually step into what Jesus always wanted us to have. Your history is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Your family's irrelevant. Your intelligence is irrelevant. Your finances and health are irrelevant. The only thing that is relevant is looking to Jesus. Everything else is down to Him. Stop making excuses. Stop looking at all the reasons we can't have it. Stop relying on every person around you to sort your world out and start looking to Jesus. Because it is your turn. Maybe if I can just invite a keyboard up as we bring this to a close. I want you to start thinking differently. Seeing it differently. Acting differently. Speaking differently. But stay in line with Jesus. Because if we're speaking anything less than heaven, we're not speaking Jesus. And there's no sickness, no lack, no rejection, no tears in heaven. It's perfection. And that is what we're here to demonstrate. See, we can look back wishing it was different. Or we can look forward and write a better story. And do you know what, church? We get to do it together. Now, I'm looking forward to the lives unfolding here and cheering you on and sharing some of my wisdom with you and you with me. We get to do it together. We can write a better story. This isn't about you working harder or doing more. That's not it. It's not I must try harder. That's not it at all. It's about building on what I've learned on the journey. Your starting point isn't zero. Your starting point is I've learned some stuff. And based on what I've learned, I'm now going to look to Jesus with a heart full of faith, believing that he's got a good story for me. And that is what I'm going to grab hold of. I'm not going to settle for second best because it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. Come on, church, it's your turn. Stop looking at all the reasons why it's not your turn. Jesus is standing there going, do you want to get well? It's the big question. And when the answer to that is yes, he'll say, get up then. Take your mat, take a hold of it. Start seeing it differently because it's your turn. 
can I get to pray with you? Would you stand? I'd love to pray with you. Let me just invite you to close your eyes if you're willing. Give the person next to you a bit of space. Give Jesus your full attention. Come on, I'm hoping you're feeling stirred today. It's yours if you want it. Father, I thank you for your heart for us. Every individual here, crafted and created, made for purpose and made on purpose. Lord, where we've settled for second best, where we've made excuses, where we've blamed everyone else, Lord, we want to say sorry. Because right now we take responsibility for our own lives. And we look to you, Jesus, and we hold our lives in an open hand and says, this is me. Show me the way. And as a church, we choose to say yes. We will let go of the things that have bound us and grab hold of the things that are going to lead us forward. Church, I stir your faith in Jesus' name. Come on, stop making the excuses. Stop looking at all the reasons why not. And start saying, Jesus paid for this on the cross for me. I stir your dream, whatever that dream, whatever that hope is in your life, I stir it in Jesus' name. Come on, it's your turn. And it starts today. I declare breakthrough in finances, breakthrough in health, breakthrough in relationships. New levels of faith. The warrior to rise up in you that says, I'm going to fight for this. I'm not settling for second best anymore. Enough already. I'm writing a new story. And Jesus is in the middle of that story. It's a story of faith. So Lord God, I ask for testimonies all across this building of your goodness. Of things changing. I always feel like it's just good to to make a response and you don't have to but if you find it helpful I think it's like it's like putting a marker in the sand to say yes this is a new day for me if today's the day you're saying yep I'm writing a new story I've heard what's been spoken and I'm stepping out I'm choosing to get up if that's you can just raise both hands in the air because I'm going to pray for you come on church thank you bless you so many people so good come on church It's yours for the taking. You know, if if we're too lackluster to raise our hands in church, how are we going to fight the fight? Come on, church, let's reach out to our Father and say, today's a new day for me. I'm agreeing with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we make a line in the sand today, a line that we're never turning back on, a line that we're only going forward from. It's our turn. It's our turn to receive your goodness. It's our turn to receive your blessing. It's our turn to press into promise. Thank you that you've got good plans for me. Thank you that you've got good plans for every person in this building. And we submit to your kingship and we choose to be obedient. Lord, I pray for everyone here that you'd give us the stamina we need. That you'd help us when we're weak. That you'd give us each other to stand shoulder to shoulder as it gets difficult. But Lord, the blessings are coming. The laughter is coming.